hundred um, percent. And chances and that, that, are, <laughs> your cute blonde girlfriend Shannon is not that interested in that. She Some does of them. not care about push rod or pull rod suspension. I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, we're live. Welcome to Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Klugman, joined by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all motorsports, uh, and today is a big episode. I know I say that often, but this one's huge. I think one of the greatest NASCAR races in two decades occurred this past weekend, and I, the day before that, was the closest I've maybe ever been, Landon, to finally... <laughs> Winning an Xfinity race. I could feel it. I could see it. (laughs) Lined up on the front row for the last restart. I had saved fuel the entire stage three run, running in the top three. And yet, as we rolled to the start for the restart into the box, I'd done everything I thought I had to do for the fuel. I nailed the throttle as we got the green flag, and it sputtered and then quit. And I no longer had power, and we finished 19th. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. <sighs> Frustrating. I, I didn't know. get to watch much of the Xfinity race. Um, I was trying to keep up. Once I mm. knew that you were out of fuel, it was my well, interest was gone. You didn't miss much in terms of entertainment value. I won't lie. It was very <laughs> much a single file affair uh, in this one. And we're going to dive more into all of the happenings uh, from around the NASCAR world. We will talk the, the greatest cup race ever uh we also have a ton of f1 stuff to dive into on this episode uh later on with uh the f1 season kicking off this coming weekend and obviously all the data analysis from testing that occurred and where people think the teams rank maybe we'll make some predictions of our own uh we also have some interesting sports car news at the end of this episode as well so we'll dive into all that but we started the pr lap landing we basically just kicked it off talking about my race and how close Mm -hmm. i was yeah, so it was it was a single file affair, um, but we had a really good spike light core Chevy um, that just allowed me to make moves that others couldn't. I felt like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and be very aggressive with my moves in terms of island hopping and trying to to make the bottom work. It just wouldn't. There was too much handling involved. There was a huge tailwind down the backstretch into three that made anyone on the bottom super loose. It was like a twenty to thirty mile per hour tailwind. And those two things combined meant that the top just had such dominance um, that anyone who ran on the bottom, like myself and Austin Hill, repeatedly tried to make the bottom work and just could not get it to work. So you had to slot in and then just try running a line and then island hop your way forward, which I successfully did once or twice, and then in stage two was not successful in, in accomplishing. But the third run, we ran single file the whole time, which was really boring for the fans. There's a lot more going on for the drivers in terms of that because we were trying to save fuel, Obviously, everyone's trying to juke each other, you know, lower so that you can get to the right rear and shove them out of the, li- the line. Like got uh, AJ Allmendinger had happened to him with Riley Herbst. Uh, he actually got shoved out of P two and fell all the way back because he let the Riley get to his right rear, um, which was pretty interesting. So there's a lot going on there. Although it does mm-hmm. look like a bunch of cars going in circles in a line, but nonetheless, we ran in fourth and then third. Uh, for the whole stage three run, and I saved fuel the entire time. 50% throttle the entire time, knowing that this could be a fuel mileage event if it went green all the way to the end. We get a caution or two to go right when I'm set up to make the, the move with the 19 of Ryan Truex 
on the two, and then it became where we ran six laps of caution, and we all started running out of fuel. And still, hmm. Austin Hill got it. You know how much fuel I had? You know I know how much? How much? We had just under a gallon left. Really? Mm-hmm. And so, so now, are, are you saying there was kind of a fuel pickup issue there, too, that you didn't get that last gallon? <sighs> so, all we can factor is that I somehow got air in the line coming to the, the restart because I had done the deal where you ride on the apron the whole time, mm-hmm. and I had shut it off repeatedly, obviously, and coasted as much as you possibly could on the under the caution. And then... When we're coming to the green, I took the bot front row on the bottom, and so I run the apron all the way around three and four. And then as we get to the end of three of four, I kind of pop up to get ready for the restart because also NASCAR will yell at you if you're not sort of in line. Mm-hmm. And I stopped weaving like at that point. I didn't do any more weaves. Well, I also did the deal where you clutch it and rev it up to 5,000 two or three times to blow out the carburetor and make sure it's still good. Everything was good. So then I load up on the gas and the brake as I come to the line, and then once I dump the throttle, it just stumbled and quit. Mm-hmm. And then it refired again when I was entering pit lane back in turn three after coasting all the way around. So somehow I got air in the line in that from turn four to the restart zone. Meanwhile, Austin Hill, who won the race, he must have been in a very similar position fuel-wise because he and I rode together in that lane for the whole or that top line for mm-hmm. all stage three, and he was saving mm-hmm. as aggressively as I was. And he said off the top side, though, when he was coming down for the restart, he gave it like a major juke to the left and which loads up that box in the fuel cell that, that has the pickup. And even then, he stumbled getting back to the throttle, but the 81 hit him, and it knocked it back going again. And he just got lucky in that sense. So, huh. it, you know when you're dealing with that little fuel and the way the fuel cell is set up, which for people that don't know, it's, it's all the pickup is on the right side and it's a little box that can hold fuel. Basically you've got to keep it filled up. And if it, if it starts to suck air at some point, as you open up that throttle, it gets an air pocket in the line and that basically kills the engine. Like happened to me. So So. it's not a matter of, of just purely running out of fuel. It's like a matter of being able to use all of the fuel that's in the tank. Exactly. <laughs> people, I think people don't realize that. I, I've always, I forget that too. It's like, hey, we got all the fuel. That's you know the the mileage they calculated might have been accurate, right? You had fuel. They left. were on it. Just My engineer, it was within a tenth. <laughs> it's a sobering reminder of the mechanical systems that we deal with and that you're operating within. That, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because you have 18 gallons or however many gallons it is, 18 gallons doesn't mean you're going to use all 18 gallons. You use 17, and then the system started malfunctioning. Yep, yep. Or whatever malfunctioned. I don't know. <laughs> you know whatever it is that got air in the lines that, that uh, those engines run off of. Or user fuel, error. Just air. In, in my case. Like, that's the one thing that's a little could frustrating. Be. I mean, it's a pretty finicky system at that point when you are when you have a only a gallon of, of gas to work with. So. Yeah, and I think that has been what has burned me a little bit it's just like okay if there's user user error in that then how do i do it differently right and there's not a clear answer and you know even the engine people you'll talk to is like well you just gotta like think about keeping that the right you know fuel in the right rear of that fuel cell but there's no science to that right it's definitely (laughs) just a feel thing when you're that low when you're in a gallon in an 18 gallon fuel cell 
you can think about how that displaces itself within there and how you well, get and how the fuel much of that right. gallon is actually in the lines you know that's that a good point there too no, there may yeah. only be a gallon in the cell or there may only be a gallon in the system i don't i don't know is there a gallon in if they're saying you had a gallon left, is that do you think that meant that there's a gallon in the whole system or just a gallon left in the cell? It was less than a gallon that was able to be taken out of the fuel cell. So okay, yeah. So there's a little bit more than that in the system in the lines yep. as well. So that's a good it's, point. That just yeah, it's it's. I'm surprised, you know, that there hasn't been much more development, or maybe we're 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 limited by the rules. Um, and I guess in the Xfinity and the truck series is the only place left that runs those fuel cells because a cup, uh, oh, does a cup use the same fuel cells? I don't even know anymore. Sorry. I'm kind what of bouncing all over, but <laughs> anyways, my point is I, I'm surprised that, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of development on fuel cell technology. They've been the same for a while. Um, it could be because of rules. Maybe NASCAR's just put such a box around the rules that we don't mess with fuel cells. They are what they are. They're not going to get any mm-hmm. better. Um, well, there there is serious rules about you know the size of them and what's in Absolutely. them and that sort of thing because if you could have more fuel, that's a massive advantage, right? NAS- so. And NASCAR does treat the in terms of rule enforcement, they treat the fuel cells similar to spoiler tires, engine. They're they're kind of a uh, 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 a protected species in terms of. <laughs> things that you can't touch <laughs> without getting in big, big trouble, uh, which I know we're going to talk about some, some rule stuff uh, later on in the show. What else do we have going on? We got the rest of our PR lab. Let's get through it. Yeah, let's drive into it because we did have some new reviews on Apple Podcasts on our quest to 200. So thank you to those who did that. We're up into the 140s of five-star reviews. And we have this newest one, which is quite a, uh, well done. This is almost as good as last week's so right there. Austin Swag King of Lobsters says, top-tier podcasting, five stars. This podcast scratches all of my motorsport itches. From driving styles to day-to-day news and awesome conversations with great guests still waiting for KB. This is – yeah, us too. This is easily my favorite podcast, motorsport <laughs> or not. I became a fan of Parker's when he drove in the MX-5 Cup race at Road America, and he is now the reason I watch every Xfinity race. I also work at a dealership, so hearing Landon occasionally talk about the related things to his dealership group – makes me feel even more like I'm sitting in a room having a conversation with my two buddies that I've never met. Hope to see you at a racetrack one day. Thank you for making great content. Loves the dealership, Landon. Awesome. You're, uh, you know what, Austin? We are your friend in the car business. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love that review. Thank you very much. And uh, if you, uh, yeah, if you ever want to move to Iowa and work at Castle Motors, just give us a holler. Reach out. We got job offers here on the Money yeah. Lab podcast. Love that. Yeah. Do you want We're to take the next one? Smart people. Um, oh yeah, Jay Fallenbaum. Uh, I know. I know who this is. Uh, Jason is is uh, been a good fan for a long time. He used to live tweet his opinions of uh, st- our strategy um, of pretty any race, whether it was me calling the race from the seat for JD Motorsports or um, his uh, support and or frustration of whatever our crew chiefs were doing on the cup side uh jason was always uh a big supporter and loved following along so he said parker has always been a go-getter impressing me ever since i first met him and oh you just didn't want to read that part yourself did you no i actually wanted you, you, to, read you the wanted top to hear somebody else say I wanted, <laughs> no i wanted you to read the top part there i thought this was actually oh, more about oh, you yeah the title i'm buried the yeah. lead here so the his his review is titled this podcast should have existed six years ago He's absolutely right because Parker has been trying to get me to do a podcast forever. Parker has always been a go-getter. Um, ever I can since read this camping one if you world. want. 
parking lot <laughs> on a cold, rainy Wednesday in uh, Pennsylvania 10 years ago. He f- he says he's finally glad that Parker got Landon to do a podcast. Yes, aren't we all? Uh, he missed seeing me out on the racetrack. I miss it too. Um, so he's a full-time Parker fan. So, Jason, thank you for the support. Um, we You missed the last bit. If it will help him get on track, tell Landon I'm looking to buy an, a used car. Hey! Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on over. We'll sell you a car at Castle Motors. <laughs> and that will definitely help, for sure. I love that. We had two dealership-related comments. If you want to be on this show, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or Spotify or even a comment on YouTube, which I'll rip through some of these quickly. Uh, Chill1495 says, do, back again. Do we ask, need more car dealership what? content? Is that what you're we saying? Did. We need to talk about the used car business, like car dealer guy. We can, I think we should try that. If anybody, if you have any questions, this is mostly a motorsports podcast, but if you have any questions about the used car business, let me know. I like I'll, that. I'll do a free trade appraisal. I'll, I'll, I will appraise your car <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> We're the only motorsport podcast. That will praise your car car. live (laughs) on on the air, on the podcast. That's the show, right then and there. We'll do another section of reviews where you just um, leave a comment about your car dealership horror story, and I'll give you the car dealer's perspective on what should have happened. How about that? Plus, make model year condition photo and VIN number, and we'll appraise it. There you go. There you go. Um, that's gonna be epic. Actually. If that actually happens, uh, I can't that wait. will be fun. I can't wait for those. Please send your cars in. All right, YouTube Chill fourteen ninety five says back again to ask, what about WRC meaning World Rally Championship Rally Sweden was awesome. Either way, great podcast. I give you five stars here since I don't know how to anywhere else. That's on YouTube. Thank you. Um, Shadowheart, I love the podcast. I enjoy the knowledge of motorsport you guys cover. I'm a taxi driver, and I always play your podcast in the car and force people to listen to you guys. Keep up the good work. Hell yeah. We're basically inceptioning the, the general public. Thank you, uh, Shadow <laughs> War. Um, Sam's Dad, 619, I love this podcast. I learned so much. Appreciate that. And Speedway Labs Dev, when someone wrecks big in NASCAR like someone flipping at Daytona, what can be – what can the team typically salvage? I've always wondered how much, if any, of the engine components can be reused. Um, depends entirely. Lots of times the seat, obviously some of the, funny enough, the safety gear for the driver, like if the Hans is okay and that sort of thing, you'll be fine. Um, and then there's numerous little components within there that are not really susceptible to that sort of damage. With that, there's often times where it's just a major write-off and basically anything that sort of can be crushed or damaged in that sense is uh you know taken away so that's pretty normal though um if it's that big of a wreck um any comments on that landon um no you're you're pretty much right i mean it's at that point it's like pick it apart but there's also a lot of things that if it doesn't even if it doesn't show a lot of damage like parts that have um internal internal mechanisms and mechanical Mm. stuff like steering boxes and um and things like that can a lot of teams will just throw them out because even if you don't see any damage on those um, parts that have internal mechanical um, mechanisms, I, I don't know. I know I'm saying that wrong. I know <laughs> uh, what you're saying. Th- there, there, there can be small damage and fractures that will end up haunting you weeks or months down the road as the parts get used again and aged again. So, um, you know, the teams usually pick those things apart and try to find what's good. 
Well put. Well put. We also had a Twitter uh, question from Brendan370ZZ who said to both of us, I have a potentially dumb question. There's no such thing, Brendan. Why do they clamor for asphalt Bristol as opposed to the concrete? What difference will the surface make? Now, personally, I don't know anyone else is clamoring for this other than Dale Earnhardt Jr., but he is such a large voice in the sport. Uh, it basically, I think, feels like everyone's asking for it. Personally, yeah. I've never even thought about it until Dale said it because I didn't really – I wasn't – Alive when they still raced on asphalt, <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Uh, what was the last asphalt? Probably the late '80s, early '90s. Early '90s, I would have been alive, but you know, very young. Um, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know how different it would be for me. What I would love to see out of Bristol, and I've said this continually, and I've said it: if you're going to do anything, go back to 2007, whatever that thing last was, and whoever scanned it for a video game, if it exists and make the exact same damn replica to whatever it was in 2007 and call it a day. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know anything, whatever that, anything else in that just doesn't make any sense to me. But that's just me. Well, I think what, um, what's probably impossible about replicating what you made in 2007 is you're, you're not accounting for the fact that the 2007 version of that track had 20 years of age and and um underlying structural integrity that caused yep. bumps and you don't just build something like that on purpose anymore and this is something that gets under i'm, I'm here i go uh -oh. <laughs> here, this is this is something that's underappreciated or un, uh, goes unnoticed about racetrack design and build um uh current day versus the good old days um is i i will absolutely hand it to anybody that talks about old tracks and how great they were um and it's true for stock car racing bristol and atlanta and all these old tracks and the character that they had that's what makes stock car racing oval tracks special is when they have all the character the bumps and the shapes and they're imperfect right well you got to think they were built in a time that had so much less technology from the construction's perspective right from from the actual excavating and the pavement that was being used, the technology wasn't what it is today. So that the the end product was actually not as nice as what we can build now. But that's what gave it character, right? That's what made Bristol Bristol by having bumps in the the imperfect round shape of the corner. It wasn't a perfectly round shape of the corner, right? It was had the, the yellow line was painted funky and it's because the seams were kind of funky and not perfectly round. And then when they, when they renovated Bristol in 2007, 2008, they made it just perfectly symmetrical and the lines were much straighter and the banking was, was had smoother transitions. And it's just like, it completely took all of the character out of Bristol. Um, what the the thing that brought the character back in Bristol to Bristol through 2000 what 10 11 I think it was 2012 mm -hmm. was literally by mistake they they ground down the racetrack thinking they were getting rid of banking um but it actually created this abrasiveness to the track that um allowed us the track to take rubber and build grip 
And now you created this super dynamic track where there's no grip for a while. And then hundred laps into the race, it builds up rubber. And now there's all of a sudden grip and the line changed <laughs> and it brought some character back to Bristol. It's not old Bristol, but it actually brought character back to the speedway. So, um, <clears throat> what, yeah, what yeah. people to go all the way back to Brendan's question, I think the reason that we clamor for asphalt Bristol, and it's not just asphalt Bristol that I clamor for. I also clamor for asphalt Dover is Mm. asphalt is just a less, a lower quality pavement than concrete. So it's, it, it's less consistent. It's more susceptible to changing over time and, you know, building bumps and, and character in it. And, um, it's, I feel like it changes more dramatically and unpredictably with the weather. Um, it changes more dramatically and unpredictably with the tire that we use and the way it absorbs rubber. Um, I just feel like concrete racetracks are, are too predictable, too consistent. Um, yeah, they change. I mean, they have change that goes about them throughout the race, but it's just, to me, it's, it's predictable. Um, and that's what takes the character out of concrete racetracks. Can I disagree with you for a second on something? Sure. That I just put my heart and soul into that, but you know, go no, ahead. No, you no, no, yeah, I'm just gonna rip it out here for a second. <laughs> you mentioned the modern technology of paving tracks and how it became perfect and all that stuff. But to me that's a bunch of BS because if you can have the technology to make it perfect, then you have the technology to mimic the imperfections of the old one. Oh, oh, and my uh, point know, being, you're hold on, hold on. right. Well, my point being, I think it's actually a lack of imagination. You know, what got us yes. here was this idea of changing what wasn't broken, right? Don't fix what's not broken is the old Southern <laughs> saying. And with Bristol, it was like it's like okay, when you had all these issues and you've spent, you know, you, you're willing to spend twenty million bucks. I believe for twenty million dollars, there is mm-hmm. someone out there smart enough because we can send rockets to the moon right now and land them back here there is mm-hmm. someone that can look at a track that's a half mile and say and scans and whatever information exists of what that thing was in 2006 and 2007 mm-hmm. before they redid it mm-hmm. and say here's how we're gonna make it exactly mm-hmm. as it was that person there's right. someone out there that can do that so whenever i just don't you know when it's at its most popular and there's a 20 year waiting list for a ticket if you want that back, then you gotta just go build that. And there's gotta be there's somebody that can do it. I know it, but no, it's you're not saying my that, money. and it's great. It, you're you're saying that, and you're right. But you're saying it kind of in hindsight because these people yeah. that have built tracks over the years, they didn't know that you had to do that. They didn't know. I, I don't think that. I don't think that track builders and track designers truly grasped the the art of building an oval speedway. Yeah. I don't think they truly grasped the character that goes into an oval speedway that makes them special. Um, the imperfections you're saying, the imperfections, basically they got over engineered because if you think about, well, think about Charlotte and the, the asphalt that was used there was a polymer based asphalt that mm-hmm. is never going like is taking years more than anything else to wear out and to create tire wear and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they realized, though, really quickly, well, well, that's not the way to go. And right. so then tracks didn't use that going forward, and they used a, a more aggregate-based asphalt. So right. there, there has been innovation there, like you're pointing out, because we almost went too perfect, right? And right. that just lacks character. So we're, 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 we I mean, really... I'm actually in the process of designing a 
a racetrack. You and I have talked about this oh my over the last couple of months. Money and... lab, you never know what you got here. <laughs> so yeah, so it's going. It, it's it's the construction is beginning. It's up here in Iowa, um, but we're going through the process of you know being very considerate of these small details and these to me these small details of the shape of the corner and how round the corner is does it come to a point like this or is it flattened out at the apex um you know is is all being considered in the design of this track and the shape of this track the banking transitions you know what line are we do we hope to see drivers race on at this track um, it will be very interesting. I don't know will it be successful or not. Um, who knows? But these are all things that are going into the consideration. We'll have to talk more about that at some yeah. point on this. Wait a second. I mean, you just totally buried the lead. <laughs> I knew you had this track. I didn't know we were we were redoing and everything. I, you know what? This sounds like the perfect content for Money Lap, the building of the racetrack and how it's done. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we're gonna make something we'll, out of this. We'll, 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 let's we'll get into this and make a plan. We'll we'll spend more time on. Uh, um, on this track design here pretty soon and, and give people status updates. I love it. You should do that. Very cool. It, uh, it's something that gets discussed a lot, but I don't think people really know or understand the intricacy. Well, I can't even say the word now. <laughs> Intricacies of this, but it is something <laughs> that's important. I, uh, I own a blade of grass at a racetrack here in Connecticut. So you know what? We're more entwined to this thing than anyone else. Well, that's really cool, and um, it's almost like a collector's item to own hmm. a piece of a racetrack like that. And if you yeah. are a fan of collector's item in motorsports, a collector's items in motorsports, oh, that just sounds weird, uh, <laughs> looking for high-quality die-cast apparel, then look no further than SpoilerDieCast.com, one of the fastest-growing companies in the industry. I'll talk about that in just a second. What sets them apart? Let me tell you. At SpoilerDieCast.com, they pride themselves on excellent service. All orders ship either same or the next day, ensuring you get your hands on your favorite products in no time. And the best part, they offer free shipping on orders over $20. That's right, Parker. You can get free shipping on all orders over $20 at SpoilerDieCast.com. They have over 800 products currently in stock. NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, dirt cars, sprint cars. Now there's merchandise and shirts and all kinds of things. So much product. That SpoilerDieCast.com is now opening a retail location, a brick-and-mortar store in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They're at 6004 Highview Drive, Suite E there, if you want the exact address location. But I'm guessing that if you just head to Highview Drive in Fort Wayne, you're probably going to find it. (laughs) Anyway, SpoilerDieCast.com, they're really proud and excited to share with us uh, last week that they're opening a new location. I've got some pictures of it already. Um, all kinds of die casts on the shelves. They are well stocked, so you can order online. Or if you're in Fort Wayne, um, in Indiana, it's great timing, honestly, for uh, the springtime coming up here. I bet you there's a lot of race fans will come through through May um, and check out Spoiler Diecast and their new store. Who really else? Proud of them. Proud of their growth. Yeah. That's amazing. Who else is making a retail store in this day and age around diecasts and motorsports? Very cool spoiler diecast to do. So I'll hopefully get to check it out when I'm in Indiana later this year. Uh, would love to go see it and see what they got going on there. But go check them out. And also spoilerdiecast.com for all your diecast needs. Love those guys and all their growth. It's really cool. Also, before we jump into everything else, just to finish off the PR lap, uh, I talked about it a couple episodes ago, but that Alpina 
XB7 that I drove just launched on my yeah. YouTube today, and it's an uh, article going out on the Autopian at theautopian.com as well today. So that's all out there um, on this day, Tuesday, February 27th of 2024. Um, so if you just go to my YouTube, which is Parker Kligerman, really hard to remember, um, you can see the video there or just theautopian.com. You can see the written and the video as well. So I want to get excited for a second, and I apologize to those listening with their headphones in, so please tune it down for a second. <laughs> but I just got to say, it is, as I mentioned, Tuesday, February 27th, so two days past the Atlanta Cup race from this past Sunday, and I am still hyped right now. I thought that was one of the greatest shows I have seen from start to finish from the NASCAR Cup Series, and I am not afraid of saying this, in the better part of 20 years probably. From mm. start to finish, one of the more entertaining things I've ever watched. The A great crowd on hand, which I tweeted before the race. Hey, Cup Series drivers, looks like a great crowd. Please put on a good show. Well, they delivered. And from the start, although there was a massive wreck, which was unfortunate, this was a precursor to what was going to become a race of just huge moves, massive runs, three wide, four wide at one point for the lead, culminating with a three wide finish. <laughs> a three wide finish for the win, separating in like the top three closest finish of all time in NASCAR. Um, it had everything. It, it, that to me was everything NASCAR has been trying to create for the the last 10 years and it wasn't like the cars were easy to drive they weren't right but the drafting was important but the runs were huge and you couldn't help but take them and the drivers mm -hmm. went after it because they sensed wait a second i can use these runs and take the lead of this thing and that's thus started just an absolute battle royale for 400 miles um you know it's funny because that is not at all how you were feeling about Atlanta on Saturday night. <laughs> not even a <laughs> or little anybody bit. else or anybody else. <laughs> but how? I mean, it what what we saw on Sunday, I think, was just the the perfect balance between classic intermediate style racing that we that we long for. Right, as racers, when we say we miss old Atlanta or we miss, um, you know, some of the good intermediate races, um, it was a good balance between that and super speedway racing. Because particularly, um, my favorite part of the race not e wasn't even the end of the race necessarily, as it as it was the midpoint through the race when the sun was still out, the track was still hot, and there was a long green flag run, and you saw sort of. A bit of a breakaway group, but still a pack of eight cars, and there were lead changes. So you were able to use this big run, but the track was slick enough that they couldn't just run three by three by three stacked on top of each other, and they had to be tactical, but they could, you know, still had to control their cars. That was, to me, the perfect balance that I think NASCAR, I hope NASCAR has always been looking for, right? Yeah. Um, the the finish and you'll know you know from from our group text during the race i was pretty cynical about the finish before <laughs> it happened right i was you were <laughs> i was like emotionally bracing myself for this massive disappointment similar to what we had last week in the daytona 500 because i was like uh yep we just saw you know an incredible race so much 
great racing and and they're just going to ruin it with a green white checkered finish where they all pile into each other and wreck each other and it was so exciting not just to see a close race but drivers who did not destroy each other for the Mm -hmm. finish um i don't think that we had a big breakthrough in drivers and conduct and racing and all that (laughs) stuff i think that this is the exception not the rule um i think that if you run that same race finish 10 times over again eight of them will have a destroyed pile up melee but maybe two of them will get to see a good clean finish but it was an absolute treat to see a good clean finish um i think you know kyle bush's move goes underappreciated for how good it was down the backstretch the way he set up that move because the camera angles weren't great to see what he did but he backed up you know literally coming off turn two he backed up to bubble wallace behind him to get his push and and then threaded this just perfectly threaded the needle to go middle three wide none of those guys made contact i don't think i mean it was like they they gave each other space they they raced with what they had um that for, for to see that on the last lap of a super speedway was just so incredible and it's what resulted in such an incredible finish daniel suarez i mean that him his ability to win from the top lane in that corner was the fruits of his labor for the 10 laps before that because mm-hmm. he was working that line the 10 laps before that right diamonding hmm. the corner running up to the wall trying to get momentum trying to get a feel for what that run would do for him off of turn four like he was he was preparing for that moment from what i could tell yeah the way he was running the top before so I, it just was like all three of those drivers um did an incredible job and it was incredible to see them finish it clean um and it was a great balance for what we <clears throat> what we i think are looking for at these super speedways right yep now and what's funny about it is like man i miss old atlanta too i miss the pavement <laughs> i miss the rim riding i miss the you know all those things about old atlanta yep but you can't argue with the crowd that was at the track I mean that alone, right? Like we can talk about the race. The race might have, that finish might have been a one-off, though. We might go to the next Atlanta race and they just destroy half the field and destroy each other on the last. <laughs> well, lap. they already destroyed might... half the field in this one. Well, they did <laughs> literally yeah, the start. We... But like, but see, you know, we might leave the next the next five Atlanta races with the same disappointment that we left at Daytona, yep. right? Where it's like, gosh, these are supposed to be the best drivers in the world. Are they incapable of racing each other clean? Yeah, right. We might. To your but, but go ahead. What you can't argue with, if you're NASCAR, right, and this is for anybody that wants to be critical of NASCAR's decisions and what we're trying to do, is like, what you can't argue with is that the crowd there is so much more into this race than they were eight years ago, Mm -hmm. right? We used to go to that race so excited as drivers to go to Atlanta and to to put on 20 sets of tires and to do everything (laughs) that we used to do at Atlanta that we look forward to. And then we would look up in the stands, and there would be nobody there. Yep. Yep. As uh, a producer on TV once said to me, if the drivers are happy, I'm scared. <laughs> because he's like, that it's not going to be a good show. And It's not. It, that's a weird conundrum. It's, it's a weird, it is a weird conundrum. But it is you know so what? Weird. They even went to Martin Truex, who said, I'm having fun. Martin Truex Jr., who you would think, <laughs> deaf and old school racer, 
wants the well, old school format. He said, I'm having fun because it was in your hands. There was handling involved, which mattered to your point, which was which has not always been the case. It's, you know, when there's the perfect super speedway, there's an element of like, if I drive this thing correctly or I take care of tires, whatever as a driver I can do to make a little bit of a difference, then you're happy. The second part, the runs were massive. So you could take a fast car that's taking care of its tires in over 10 laps, work yourself into position to take the lead. Like it was just, there was that tactic to it that existed. And one more thing, yep. you know, breaking down that, that finish a little bit, you mentioned Kyle Busch's move, Daniel Suarez's move, but it was the move that Ryan Blaney didn't make, in my opinion, that probably allowed this finish to happen. And that is he could have thrown a late block on Kyle Busch or to the top, you know, tried to do something crazy with Suarez. But he just saw it and thought, I'm staying here, take the shortest lane. Mm-hmm. And that also allowed them not to just have a 19 car pileup on the backstretch and allow that finish. So etiquette put aside, I'm not, obviously, I don't think he thought like this would be the best way to make a cool finish. But my point being, you know, he played a huge part in allowing this finish because mm-hmm. he didn't do something stupid, which is try to clear himself across three cars at the front row, you know? He didn't, yeah, he didn't take the easy way out because the no. one thing that didn't change with all of this stuff, with the next-gen car, is the car on the inside with any bit of leverage over the car on the outside of them has a ton of leverage, Yeah, right? And you can literally just run them up the track and you're going to take away all of their angle, um and and you can win the race and he he chose not to take the easy way out he chose to race it out clean he didn't win the race but he definitely deserves you know some some recognition for that that that's just good racing you know it's yep. smart racing it was tactical he didn't and he didn't win um i think that what makes going back to the fun comment here and then we can move on cuz and this is a great analysis of this race i'm happy that we had this conversation the <laughs> the what makes it fun for speedway racing there, you know, you talked about the handling. We always talk about handling. That's what people think is like what drivers look for. And it is what drivers look for that makes it feel like we're in control. But, but when you pair that with just enough drafting that it creates this tactical piece of it, that's what really makes the fun part that, Truex was talking about that all those guys were talking about they're just saying have they have fun because you can have the best car in the field right and and you're gonna have a fun day whether it's a drafting track or not if you get the best <laughs> car in the field but when you have just enough of that drafting in there even if you don't have the best car in the field you can still be tactical with how you move around right you yep. can back up into the guys you can get runs you can pass cars that are faster than you if you put yourself in the right position and that's where that's that that type of racing gets fun. The most fun I've ever had in a Daytona 500 was when we got to the point where you had to lift in the corners, right? And mm-hmm. we weren't running three wide, ten rows deep, um, and gridlocked in a drafting pack. We were some people were running two by two, some people were single file, and we would kind of get spread out. And you'd have to lift into the corner, and you'd back up to the guy behind you, and then you'd get him to push you off the corner, and then you could pass two cars down the straightaway. But then you had to get back in line because otherwise they'd pass you back. That's fun, and that's what we saw at Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> and I think we'll see more of that in in the next Atlanta race. What when is what's the date on the next Atlanta race? Is it summer? Ooh, oh, you're um, testing it, my knowledge. I can't it remember. Had been, it had been, <laughs> I, in the last couple of years, I think it had been summer, 
Um, you know, it, it will go into the dark. And that was my cynicism going into this. Remember when I mm-hmm. texted you guys on Sunday was like, well, yep. you know, I hope you guys are enjoying this because when the sun goes down, we're going to see a different race. And we kind of did, right? It goes back to that little bit of a gridlock two by two or three by three. Um, but, you know, fortunately, we're still able to see some movement on the track where yep. the drivers were able to change lanes, make passes. Um, it, it was it was fun to watch. Sensational. Uh, had huge reaction afterwards. Sports Center posted on their Instagram to 30 million people. Uh, Bleacher Report posted to their 40 million people on Instagram about the finish. It was all over the internet. The world was talking about it. All the fans that were on the grounds for this race were tweeting that they were there. They had been there. You know, it was a momentous moment for the sport with the Netflix uh, show having happened just a couple weeks ago. And, of course, the TV ratings were higher than the second race of last year, which was nice considering the Daytona 500 obviously was delayed and didn't get the big rating it wanted or probably, um, you know, a lot of what a lot of people were hoping for. Um, but a lot of positive momentum from the sport. And I saw that Jeff Gluck's poll put it as a top three uh, race of all time and the most votes of all time uh, in his Was It a Good Race poll. So huge reaction out there right when NASCAR needed it. Um, and a big, I just think overall big day for the sport of motorsports. I was wearing a jacket that my sister gave me a couple years ago, uh, yesterday or on Sunday that felt very fitting. And it just says NASCAR America's number one motorsport. And on that day, wearing that jacket, watching that race, I enthusiastically felt that it was America's number one motorsport and it proved Mm -hmm. it on that day. First closest margin of victory from first to third of all time. Also, one other fun fact our producer found, um, it seems like Trackhouse has been involved in every major moment for NASCAR the better part of the last two years. You think of, they obviously just won this close Atlanta finish that is going to be remembered for a very, very long time, an instant classic Mm -hmm. as people are calling it. Uh, SVG winning Chicago, the first street race in NASCAR, and a huge moment under you know uh, incredible circumstances, a beautiful skyline setting into the night. And a huge TV rating. Trackhouse won that with their Project 91 car. And, of course, just two years ago, Ross's Hail Melon, which was the most viral moment in NASCAR <laughs> history. All hey, centered around Trackhouse. How does that work? <laughs> well, this doesn't I – don't, I don't have to go down one of my rabbit holes with this. But I do think it's, it, it's fair to comment that there, this isn't by accident, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, anybody in any business or uh, that's played sports or watched sports or – what been a part of anything or believes in anything in life is that energy is a real thing right and what track house has been bringing since they started was just energy right great branding yeah. positive energy excitement for the sport optimism um and i think that the fact that they have had these moments like ross in the hail mail and 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 svg mm-hmm. in chicago and then this all of these things, it's no accident. It's because they bring energy, you know, yep. and, and it, that is not just on their social media and because of, you know, Pitbull performing for the team and, and making content. It trickles all the way down into the shop and into their culture and, and ultimately onto the racetrack. So it's no accident. You know, teams definitely take note and hopefully it, you know, continues to help elevate the whole sport. It's a great point culture and enthusiasm and energy it's amazing what it can create um and culture especially in this day and age with the cars being so similar and 
you know, the idea that the human is going to matter more and more, you have to think that culture is going to be a huge selling point for all these teams in the future um, as they adjust to kind of what's the modern way. Speaking of the modern way, mm-hmm. you might not have ever thought that a pair of gloves could be a competitive advantage. <laughs> but don't tell that to Team Penske and Joey Logano, who webbed his left-hand glove in an effort to block off more air from the uh, the window net area to go faster in qualifying at Daytona and Atlanta. Got caught at Atlanta with this and therefore was given a penalty to start the rear and also do a drive through penalty um, at the start of the race. Any were you shocked by this ingenuity, um, or are you not I was, shocked? I was absolutely shocked, and I don't. I mean, I kind of want to take a second, and I will, I will disclaimer this by just saying I haven't really talked to anybody about this. I don't know any more details. I don't know who made the call here. If it was an interior person or an engineer, or you know who did this at at Penske. So, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say that this is probably one of the dumbest like cheating or rules bending or it this wasn't this wasn't innovative to me this was please explain un, this was an unforced error on the yep. team it was it was it might be innovative to think like oh let's web the gloves because the driver blocks off but like that that in itself might be like innovative to think but it it to me is not innovative because truly innovative gray area racing style cheating deals are innovative because not only are are they imaginary and what they can do to improve performance but they're also innovative because of how well they thought out how to skirt the rule book this is this is like the altering of a of you know a driver's gloves that you you can't alter right like they they're the SFI certification on these things is is pretty clear. You can't just, you know, change the stitching or or restitch gloves um, and think that it's still SFI approved. We know that about all all the other safety equipment that we have. Um, you would never compromise the integrity of the the structure of a driver's helmet and think that it's still, um, you know, approved. And <clears throat> I mean, maybe they used Carbon X material and thought like, oh, well, it's still, you know, fire retardant or something like that. Um, I would imagine they probably used Carbon X material, but this still doesn't mean that it's just it's still SFI approved. So that in itself makes it illegal, right? Yep. Let alone, you know, the innovation of, of webbing it or something like that. And and the driver's gloves is something that gets inspected every single week now i guess they could have easily swapped out gloves put a different pair of gloves to get inspected and then swapped them out and uh for the driver to wear it just it's not it wasn't that innovative to me i don't think it was very well thought out um i think that true innovation maybe here this is silly to suggest because nascar would never approve this but like if you truly want to be innovative on this is is you come up with this idea and then you go to nascar and you just say, "Hey, I want to. Des- I want my driver's gloves to look like this, right?" And you and you get NASCAR to say yes or no, and then you do it because it's not what they did is like illegal. It's not even <laughs> a question, right? It's not a gray area. 
Like it's because you're saying like now the I get gray it. area. I think you finally brought it around there. By the way, you you the, lost me for a little while, and now you brought it around. The gray area might be that. Like there oh, is no gray area here. Yeah, there's no you know oh the, there's nothing in the rules that say the driver's glove can't have webbing in it. It's like okay fine, but it's not an SFI approved glove. Yeah. So like so what are you doing? <laughs> like, That's not a glove what? you're allowed to wear. <laughs> it's not a glove you're allowed to wear. You can't take an SFI approved glove and then restitch it and re and alter it. So I mean, yeah, yeah it's just it's to, to me that was like the. Uh, not a very smart move on Penske or whoever at Penske did that. Maybe here, here's my only caveat is it, if the glove manufacturer did this themselves, mm. right for Penske or Penske asked for it and the glove manufacturer did it yep. and the glove manufacturer stuck an SFI approval on it. Then, then we have a whole separate issue here. Right? That'd be different. And there's other people than Penske that would be in trouble for this. Yep. But I don't think that that's, that's probably not what happened. What's interesting is he normally wears red gloves, and those that were webbed were black. And <laughs> having historically worn black gloves in truck qualifying at Daytona and Talladega so I can pull the net forward without being seen, mm-hmm. as many others do, uh, I can tell you that that's, you know, they obviously then showed their intentions there because the, it blends in with the net, of course. Um I think, you know, I was asked uh, for an article in Road and Track about why this is happening. I described, you know, in the Xfinity car, we have a tube to the right of us that's a mandatory tube to send air onto the driver that if we close, we all try to close off with our hand to the right. You'll see us all drive one-handed in trucks. It's about similar to the next-gen car in terms of trying to block off the A-post area to the window net and trying to pull that window net forward sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all these are little arrow tricks that... The engineers tell us work. I personally have never felt anything different from them, but I said this in the Road and Track article. I said, us drivers are a simple sort. If you told us that wearing underwear on our heads gains us a tenth, we'd all be wearing underwear on our heads. So it's just about that simple. Basically, they tell us it works, and we do it. Um, and that's why you're seeing this all these one-handed qualifying laps at Daytona, Talladega, and now Atlanta. But I have a fix, Landon, for all this. <laughs> what is it? Do you want to hear it? <laughs> I hope is, it's as I hope it's as simple as I'm imagining, but I'm not going to interrupt you. It's going to be really simple, and there's going to be people out there that are going to fight me on this, and they're going to use words like money and funding and budget, but they're all wrong, and I'm going to tell you why they're wrong. Because the the gain for the sport from this change and this idea would be so monumental that it would make up for any of those issues that they're going to describe. My idea, qualifying engines you have one engine you get each year that you can bring to the super speedways and every track over a mile that is a qualifying spec engine with unlimited thousand horsepower you get one all year you can only use that one engine each time but we finally bring qualifying back to being something exciting worth seeing the daytona 500 qualifying now 230 miles per hour only time you'll see stock cars do this when they're alone but that will be the case. Atlanta, talk about the most insane lap you'll ever see in your life. 1,000 horsepower stock car for one lap around there. No longer would you be one-handed. <laughs> Trust me on that. <laughs> you would definitely not be one-handed. And then you could take the same engine idea and make it the short track and the road course engine as well. But for your qualifying engine, you only get one of those or two of them for all season, basically. And it's just like the power units in F1. If you use more, you start going to the back sort of thing. You start getting penalized. 
So <laughs> we used to change engines 42 times in a weekend. This is a, this, in my opinion, is one engine change in the next gen car, which you know, theoretically, in theory, but it's not the actuality, should be able to bolt apart and bolt back in, sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a way, and this would change everything, and it wouldn't be that much more expensive. And that engine could be literally an engine from a road car, but now we're getting crazy because it has to fill. It has to be the same type it is now. But anyway, that's my that's my idea. Qualifying engines in the NASCAR Cup Series for all the big tracks. Well, uh, the Money Lap has a pretty good track record of uh, of you know speaking things into existence. So maybe who knows? Maybe Stay tuned. This, we, we maybe we should talk about it, and uh, maybe we can run this up the flagpole and see if we can get qualifying engines back into the. Do you, cup are you saying? That people at NASCAR listen to us and this and then occasionally use our ideas. That's right. And if you listen, actually, if you hear this, you are listening. Make sure you like (laughs) and subscribe. Share it with three friends. If somehow (laughs) somehow you're hearing this but you don't listen to the show – I don't know. uh, Then now we're dealing with some kind of Inception stuff or something. Um we're going to move um. past some of the (laughs) updates and the charter stuff. No real big movement there, so I'm not going to get into that. Um, I do want to point out one comment as we stay in the Cup Series here for a second. Steve Phelps, president of NASCAR, did uh, have a quote this past weekend saying he expects Cup races in Canada, Mexico, and Southern California next year. That's pretty cool. Love that. Uh, love the idea of finally getting to Canada. Love Southern California. Maybe possibly Long Beach. Hmm? Wing, wing. Um, hmm. We'll see. And we did talk about the Xfinity Series, how I unfortunately lost. <laughs> Uh, Austin Hill was the winner there. He uh, He's on one right now. Good for him. The truck race, as we just the last bit of NASCAR stuff here, um, mm-hmm. had a really unusual moment, Landon, where the roof came off of a truck, which was interesting. was damaged, and we've seen some of these trucks, as you pointed out last year, the front row truck that was deflecting its windshield. It got caught for that again, I believe. But also, another truck had a basically... I guess got hit by debris or something and started deflecting the windshield and the roof actually came off of it at one point. So that was it, interesting to watch. It, it was did a 41 kind of look like that truck was having the same roof issue or the, like the uh, windshield support issues that the other trucks were having. Right. Well, I think it got hit. It's what it was by debris. Okay. That's what I think. That's what I think for the 41, what caused it. To have that it had a tear between the windshield and the roof, and then eventually from a debris. Are you or whatever, sure it wasn't? I thought it was debris. Are, hit are it. you sure the tear didn't come from the windshield being deflecting? The brace getting broken and oh, it compressing maybe. the windshield. Because well, I'm pretty sure that I saw then. that truck. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw that truck earlier in the race with the okay. windshield compressed, and then it eventually broke. Oh, I thought it'd been hit. I was watching in the hauler, which is always – I do have to preface any races I watch in the hauler have to be put with an asterisk because I'm, my mind is not there. So <laughs> I'm paying attention, but well, I'm not paying attention sometimes. Regardless, there was more than one truck in the field that had – that's still showing the windshield braces mm-hmm. breaking, compressing the windshields. I don't know if they're doing this on purpose. I think they're doing it on purpose because I'm they're pretty sure purpose. there's a benefit to it. Yeah. Um, and the thing you got to think about is those truck teams are kind of just shooting this off the cuff, but those truck teams, there's only a few body hangers. A body hanger is a person that 
like does builds the bodies for those trucks. There's only a few body hangers that actually handle all that build the bodies for all of the trucks in the garage. Yeah. So, you know, chances are when, if, 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 if we looked into, if you track down where these issues are coming from, it could be coming from one particular body hanger that's taking care of, you know, a group of, of trucks. Yeah. Um, so it's a uh, point. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting, well, it's, uh, it was a big day for Fox and the TV ratings in the doubleheader that was Trucks and Xfinity on the same day in Atlanta. Although the the races maybe weren't the most scintillating, maybe the trucks a little better than the Xfinity race. Uh, the trucks TV ratings were up 13% from last year's race. 914,000 people watched that one. And the Xfinity race was up 17% to 1.19 million viewers watched me get fuel my airline and not get the trophy that myself and team deserved we're gonna get one here soon believe in my big machine racing team i do spike light cores we're gonna find a way so uh let's move on from nascar and we mentioned at the beginning formula un or formula one is coming back this coming weekend first race of the year and as we mentioned we had a ton of testing analysis that was done by tons of smart people out there that showed us one really amazing thing. Uh, Red Bull is, of course, the fastest in F1 going into the season, without a doubt. Um, some of the other interesting ones out there, though, are more of the idea of who is truly second, maybe third fastest, maybe even who's in the top five. It looks like, according to F1 data analysis that they put out, Ferrari is in second, McLaren is third, Aston Martin is fourth. Mercedes just barely in fifth. Uh, they then have Visa Cash App RB, which they just call RB, by the way, uh, behind Mercedes. Alpine, it then goes Sauber, Williams, Haas, of course, bringing up the rear. Now, what I thought was interesting from this is that I saw a ton of conjecture about Alpine being maybe one of the worst cars in the field in that they had a car that, I always find this very fascinating F1 with all the engineers, thousands of engineers and people working on these cars. They've designed this thing for six to eight months, maybe even earlier if they decide early that they're going to shift their focus to the new car in the next year. They get to testing, and this car does nothing of what they were hoping or expecting. <laughs> uh, that was the case for Alpine, which it was said that it does not stop, turn, or accelerate any way that they were hoping. <laughs> That's a miss in there I, uh, for those I have guys. Much more empathy for that than I used to because um, I used to think the same thing how can you spend all that money and bring that poor of a product to the track but at the end of the day it's a competitive business and there is a, there is a universe where that Alpine car is also the best performing car hmm. um, it just so happens how spiritual that they missed it this time what? I said how spiritual of you I know, just, <laughs> I know. <laughs> how generous of me <laughs> to give him that much credit but you know what these hey, are there's a universe where anybody or anybody who's run a Red company, Bull. anybody who's run any kind of business or operating or had to manage a lot of people knows how hard it is to get everybody to pull in the same direction. And uh, you can you're spend telling a, me, you can, have you, you been to the money lap lately? You can spend all the money in the world, and you know if if there's just a little bit of. I don't know, misdirection among departments on what, what you're designing, what you're building, what you're trying to accomplish. That's how you can end up going to testing and have uh, random NASCAR 
podcasters talk about how crappy your team is. Well said. All right, let's dive into some predictions possibly for this year and talk some F1 stuff because we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of data to work off of. That that ranking was basically the best data that's out there. And I've but seen a lot of other- everybody's trying. Everyone's People trying. are trying because this yeah. is the most preseason F1 prediction coverage I think I've ever seen. <laughs> because they're just- Desperately like, hoping to see something other than people the Red Bull. Are <laughs> desperately looking for some kind of do you potential think, out of anybody other than Red Bull. So stay tuned. Um, well, do you get the because feeling we're that about to find out in the next what two weeks? <laughs> yeah, that everybody's get, well, wrong and it's still Red Bull. Not two weeks. It's this weekend. It's this weekend. Oh, this weekend. I'm sorry. Yeah. So do you get the feeling? You said it's the most testing coverage you've ever seen. Obviously, with the popularity explosion, there has been an explosion in content creators around Formula One. There has been an explosion in media people paying attention to F1. Do you get the sense that some of them are realizing that the reality show is not the reality of what you know the actual like content out there? What I'm trying to say is that like you have Drive Survive, which I haven't even watched the new season to be honest. I just couldn't even be bothered yet, but the the idea that they this reality show makes it look so exciting. And we I watched the trailer with my girlfriend Shannon the other day, and she go we immediately said to each other, "Wow, they are such a better reality show than NASCAR." But that's <laughs> the end of it, right? Like it's it's the, all these media things created around it, all this stuff. It's there's not enough at times because it's, it's just. Hype. It's just hype. It's just, that, but there's no substance to it because there's not enough there. It's just a very odd thing. And some of the most interesting stuff that happens from Monday to Friday has nothing to do with the reality show because there's not a many drivers or teams involved as there are in the other motorsports. And therefore, some of the most interesting stuff is highly technical, like exceedingly technical, right? Mm-hmm. Of suspension design, right? Or uh, new aero bits that are, you know, very just mundane in terms of their difference between the other arrow bit and they make these differences but that's the stuff that actually matters and gets talked about but it's not the stuff that the show sells you on right and so i feel like there's this we're starting to see the fracturing of people who got into it because of a show and are realizing wait a second that's not the substance behind it does that make sense yeah all those things that you got into it that really have nothing to do with the actual on-track product a race doesn't (laughs) even have to happen for no. most gen, general public F1 Drive to Survive people to still be interested in F1. A race could never even happen. It could just literally just be headlines about all of these drivers and their teams and the supercars they drive on the weekends and where they went on vacation. And, and that's, that's maybe the celebrity culture part of things that we yes. live in. Um, and that's, maybe, that's not such a bad thing. That's what draws attention and it adds to storylines. But... You know, maybe what you're saying is like when you when you get down to the core, it's still a nerdy engineering racing yes product. Hundred um, percent. And chances and that, that- are, your <laughs> cute blonde girlfriend Shannon is not that interested in that. She Some does of them. not care about push rod or pull rod suspension. I can assure you. <laughs> Um, uh, well, to, my, to your point, though, wrong just with a last that. spit on that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, whatever still you're into. Something for her to, there's still something for her to watch. <laughs> there's still something for her to follow. Well, 
But the core Quad, product it, that we have to yeah. spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on is less on personalities and more on the carbon fiber components and designing suspension. And to your point, I think you said that you articulated that better than I I did originally, which is that's not a problem. Like I, I get that and I think that's an amazing thing. And personally, when I watch Drive Survive and I go in with the mentality of like I just want to be entertained that has some sort of relation to racing, then mm-hmm. I enjoy it. If I go in there with my racing brain, I'm like, well, this is butch. This none of this matters and none of this is mm-hmm. actually what happens and this is just ridiculous. But it's like and it's all dramatized and that sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But when I go in there just wanting to be entertained in a vague sense of racing or even detach my racing brain, it's an entertaining product, no doubt about it. So more mm-hmm. power to them. I think there's elements of that that need to come to NASCAR 100% and vice versa. You know, If you could combine the two into one entity, it would be the greatest series ever if it had the racing of NASCAR and the, the reality show aspect of F1. It'd be amazing. Let's talk mm-hmm. predictions, though, real quick. Who's going to shock both good and bad this year? Who's going to shock you in F1? Can be anything. Team driver, team principal, marketing person, PR, content <laughs> team, creator. T- team principal. <laughs> Who's going to shock? I I think that the – I don't know. I'm, I'm extremely interested in F1 right now this year. I'm extremely interested in what's going to happen. I think that Red Bull is going to shock us one way or another. If they win <laughs> all the races, I think I can make an argument for, like, that's shocking. That's unbelievable. It's unprecedented. It's an insane amount of dominance that we've that we've haven't seen ever or in a long time. If they don't win, it's going to be shocking, right? If they if they get dethroned, it's going to be shocking. I think the shock is somehow there's too much attention on Red Bull right now, especially with all the drama that's going on with Christian Horner. Um, now you have, you know, Ford is kind of chiming in again uh, with. Jim Farley making comments, um, being quoted that they want this resolution to end. I know we're we've got it on the docket to talk about here, so we can maybe we can get right into it if you want. But um, I just think that there's going to be some interesting stuff coming out of Red Bull this year, whether it's business as usual and they just win all the races and that's going to be shocking, or they or this is the end of an era. Who knows? Hold but off on the Horner that's where I'm Ford looking. stuff, but that's it's a great point. I believe who will shock everyone is Ferrari. And I've been saying it for, what, six months now? That this is like, to me... Well, they already did once. They already did, yeah, right. They already did with the Lewis Hamilton announcement. I think they will shock people with their performance this year. And I think they will be the biggest contender to Red Bull. I think they will uh, undoubtedly fix some of their um, woes in terms of race strategy. And... It will look. It will surprise. It will make Lewis Hamilton look incredibly smart to be heading to Ferrari in twenty twenty five, and that is just my my premonition. So, tagging along behind them will be McLaren and Mercedes. They will be battling it out for the third row, uh, third rung on the uh, constructors' championship, and that's just the way I see it going. Um, anyone bad who's going to shock us in a bad way? You got in your mind? Uh, well, that was my. Red Bull that point was your is like it could be good yeah. or bad. Like it's it's. I think that something shocking is going to happen out of Red Bull. I, I think they're going to be the 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 nucleus of all the news. Right? They are. Yep. Um. I'm not trying. I guess I'm not trying to take the easy way out there or underscore what's 
going on at McLaren or Ferrari, but like to me, what it, McLaren is 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 just incremental, right? Like they've been getting better. I expect them to continue getting better. Are they going to shock me if Lando Norris gets his first win this year? Absolutely, that'll be shocking and exciting. But will it really shock me? Not really, because look at the improvements they made last year. Right, they're yep. headed down a path. I think they're getting better. So if they don't win, it's not that shocking. If they do win, it isn't that shocking to me. Um, Ferrari, I mean, yeah, Ferrari to me too is incrementally getting better. Right, the news with Lewis Hamilton was shocking. Um, do they uh, do they find victory lane this year? Would that be shocking? Maybe, yeah, because the fact they beat a Red Bull, but they've had the speed. Right, they've mm-hmm. had the speed in qualifying. Yep, they've been able to challenge. They've been close, close meaning within half a second. Like so, it, it's it will be it will be exciting, but it's not shocking. Shocking to me is is what what's going on. Like Red Bull is is like teetering right now. To me. I don't know what's going to happen. Are they they could win twenty races or they could completely get turned upside down. I don't know. Yep. and either one is going to be shocking to me. Connected to them would be in my other shocking thing. We can call this good or bad, but I think it could be bad for them. I believe Visa Cash App, RB, the worst named team in all of F1 history, uh, will be surprisingly fast. And I think it will be mysteriously f- similar speed to the last year's Red Bull car. And I think <laughs> that this is not a good thing for Red Bull, and it opens up the um, the door for the Zach Browns and the Toto Wolves and the others out there to start to wedge that, you know, stick in between those two teams and to the FIA and to the FOM and say, hey, this is ridiculous. This is a four-car team. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a big problem. And I know they, you know, all the the quotes from Daniel Ricardo and and everyone involved in Visa Cash App is like, oh no, we're becoming our own team and separating. Blah blah blah. It all looks very similar. <laughs> so <laughs> if it looks like a Red Bull, you're not fooling anyone. And I think this is this could be a really important seminal moment for F1 behind the scenes. If you want to get in some of the reality show stuff, in that there is going to have to be a a moment of reflection for F1 and what it wants to be. Does it want to be a true constructors championship where everyone has to build their own thing? Or are you going to allow customer cars because this has gotten to this team Mm -hmm. to me is, is the closest it's ever been. And it's going to show it's going to show up and they're going to beat Mercedes or McLaren. And it's going to be a big, big issue. And then people are going to be mad. Yep. It's going to be a really big issue. Speaking of issues, um, bringing it back to an American connection to formula one, IndyCar is very upset with F1 at the moment. And that's not because they would like to be as big as them, and I agree, they probably should be, but, and they what used to be just 30 years ago. Nonetheless, they are upset because F1 has been stealing their trademark, the greatest spectacle in racing. And this is now basically the third time that has happened. It happened with the Grand Prix at Miami. It then happened with an F1 ad that or a social media thing that happened that they was taken down, and now it has most recently happened with an ESPN advert, uh, which is disappointing considering ESPN used to hold and ABC used to hold the Indy 500 for many many years, and knows that that's their trademarked tagline mm-hmm. for the Indy 500, which is the greatest spectacle in racing. It's all over there. When you land at the Indianapolis airport, it is everywhere. It is everywhere at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It has just been their tagline 
for as long as anyone can remember. And it's unfortunate that uh, they're they're upset with F1 because it's infringing on them and they're going to have to get serious about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't disagree with them. That's their thing. Could we offer F1 a better tagline? Do you have any ideas for them? (laughs) Um, I don't know if I have a better tagline for them. You kind of put me on the spot there. But um, Mm. it does feel like F1 has been kind of poking the bear a little bit there. Um, there and with NASCAR, they they have what about a, the Chicago thing that came out. F one has a absolutely has a passive aggressive approach to trying to take over American auto racing. So we'll see how that plays out for them. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking greatest reality show in racing. <laughs> Does yeah. that work for them? That's that's their tagline. <laughs> Um, I hate to be – by the way, remember for a while people thought I hated F1? I mm-hmm. actually love it. I just like to call it out on this BS. I'm not a – you know, I've been watching it for too long, been too involved with Formula One mm-hmm. to be caught up in some of the just utter BS that surrounds it and the people <laughs> get sucked into around it. And I just like – I've seen this all before. And I know I've mentioned it before, but like if you want to talk about some of the things going on with adding another team – Go watch, go read The Power Brokers. It will give mm-hmm. you a great example of the same thing happening in the late 1990s and the 2000s, and it all just sort of recycles itself, and none of it ever changes because yep. it's 20 cars going around the world racing on tracks. It's, it's very well, much the same. Speaking of calamity, then let's comment on this, on you know whatever is going on with Christian Horner and Red Bull and mm. this silence, this lack of anything happening. I would if if Dietrich was alive, would this be going on right now? Is my first question. Ooh. For you. you know, I actually had that a similar thought initially when this came around, and I thought this reminds me of when founders leave or are forced out of companies. Right now, obviously, in Dietrich's situation, he passed away. Um, situation. Uh, sorry. I mean, not situation, but that's, that's terrible to say. Little issue. Yeah, look, that's, that's horrible to say. He unfortunately passed away. And so, you know, what I'm trying to say is that if you look at startups over the years and these companies that CEOs, founders, you know, burst these things into life and they have their way and their culture, and we talked about it with Trackhouse and culture, and then if for whatever reason are removed or, you know, put a, pushed aside or take or, you know, basically kicked out of the company that company can sometimes change or falter or get worse that sort of thing and the, hold on hold on here's where i'm going with this hold on hold on just give me a second give me a second give me okay, a second okay. i see you over there my okay. point to bring that up is that i had that initial thought i just don't think you know this organization has always been a very interesting organization from the outside in that they are a marketing company that got so big they were able to do some of the biggest most expensive marketing projects in the world including in f1 in formula one teams right and then did something that none of these others have ever thought of and that was to go run an f1 team right that not being a manufacturer and has risen to becoming a, a dominant player in something that usually the only people that became dominant were people that were ingrained in racing from the start or built cars for a living right and so I think it's always been an interesting culture and in surrounding it. But to, the reason I thought of that was just that similar thing of like, would this still, would this be so quiet? Would this not be resolved by now? Would this not be, you know, hey, this is not a good look for us. 
figure this out if that if he's still around. To me, this is not in Red Bull's core identity for this to not be resolved by yep. now. And there is something missing at Red Bull right now that's causing them to be stuck. And I think that, you know, one of the things about Red Bull as a brand that is I, in my perception, at part of their core identity, is that they did not care who people what people think of them yep right they but they they were anti-culture they were you know or counterculture i guess for so long right and you think of the athletes that they've sponsored and you know they're not the squeakiest of clean brands forever yep and so i think that whatever they're faced with right now you can't tell me that this couldn't have been resolved. It's gone on long enough now. I don't know anything about what's going on. But whatever it was, the fact that we're taking so long to even come out with a statement or or acknowledge or come up with a plan or whatever tells you that internally they don't know what to do. Mm. Right? And and so, it, it, I mean, Christian Horner maybe could have done the worst thing in the world, but they're obviously if if he did the worst thing in the world, why then why is it taking three weeks to get rid of him? Yep, yeah, right. So there's some there's some kind of internal debate over what's really going on here that they can't even just put him on indefinite leave or indefinite you know suspend him indefinitely and then continue to investigate, right? Like there's some kind of internal war at Red Bull going on over like what to do with this that it um i don't know that's what like that's to me is just like wow they've they've there must be some i don't maybe i'm going too deep with it but it's just like no there's some there's some lack of this is this kind of indecision is not the red bull that i think dietrich created so right or wrong you know red bull red bull is a company you know under under the helm of the founders may have Right or wrong with, with what Christian Horner did may have come out by now and said, yeah, he did some things we didn't like, but we're going to keep him around and don't worry about it. Right. Yep. Or who knows? Or they might have come out and said, yeah, that's too far for us. And we know that's not acceptable. He's gone. But somehow we've gone three weeks and we don't know anything. And they haven't done anything to the point that the CEO of Ford. Exactly. Has has not just has come out twice. Well, not, the CEO Ford didn't come out the first time, but the, you know Ford came out first and was like, "Yeah, we're keeping an eye on this, right?" And now mm-hmm. the CEO of Ford, in in a in a in a letter to Red Bull, has basically said, "You yeah, it's time you guys figure this out." Yeah, right. What's going on? What's going on? It, well, the quote is increasingly frustrated. However, by the lack of resolution or clear indication from you about when you anticipate a fair and just resolution of this matter. (laughs) We are likewise frustrated by the lack of full transparency surrounding this matter with us, your corporate partners, and look forward to receiving a complete account of all findings. So who's in charge? Like, that's the the question here. Who's in charge? Who's handling this? Where's the leadership? I mean, it's unbelievable to me at this point. I'm absolutely supportive of Jim Farley's concerns, and I think he speaks for probably the rest of the world that wants to know what the hell is going on. Who's in charge here? So and we'll all find out, and, and yeah. at the end of the day, I'm just a shock jock 
podcaster <laughs> that, that like, <laughs> you know I, it's fun to just say this into a microphone when there's nobody else to respond to me you know and it's probably a very serious matter that's being dealt with but um and we can it's easy for us to oversimplify things but man I don't see I'm not too familiar with good companies, good leaders that take this long to take action over things that are probably pretty obvious. It's probably pretty obvious. Well, I'm just going to assume it's probably pretty obvious what should come out of this. Whatever it was that Christian Warner did, I'm guessing that if we all knew it or even close to what it was, it's probably pretty obvious whether it's overblown and a non-issue and he doesn't need to be fired Mm -hmm. or whether what in the hell is this guy doing? How does his key card still work? Get him out of here. (laughs) I would imagine that when the details come out, it's going to seem pretty obvious. I don't know why it's taken them a month. Yep. Well said to the bottom of it. And we should point out that, uh, in this article by Jenna Fryer, the AP news, uh, she did end it by pointing out that the, um, that Mark Matichit's, um son runs the company and they own 49% of the ownership of Red Bull. The remaining 51% is owned by the Uvidaya family um, and it could be right now a standoff between the two families and what to do. So Absolutely. We Absolutely. will uh, we'll see. It's definitely um, compelling stuff. So in terms of just all the, the conjecture around it and the lack of decision and the lack of transparency. So we'll see. Uh, moving on from F1, before we end this pod and this show, uh, just some quick news out of the IMSA world and sports cars. Ferrari and BMW were stripped of all their IMSA GTD Pro and GTD manufacturer points after they were determined to have violated expected performance levels in the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Let me explain this really quick with the balanced performance rules that they have in IMSA amongst uh, in the GT classes and in the prototype classes, but especially in the GT, where there's so many different cars and you know manufacturers involved, they try to balance them all within the same performance profile. One of the big trends over the last couple of years has been teams sandbagging in testing or practice into qualifying and then unleashing a lot more performance in the race. And so they <laughs> came up with a new system this year where the teams and the, or the manufacturers had to basically submit what they expected to be their performance profile for the car which would then stop this whole sandbagging and then unleashing a bunch of speed. Well, Ferrari and BMW, who were really fast, Ferrari won in the GTD Pro class, uh, were found to have been outside their performance profile they submitted before. And there was a lot of people, even the week, just the days before the Rolex 24, that told me the Ferrari was way faster than they were showing. And sure enough, it showed up. So <laughs> in the request be... for BOP to work, it's and once again didn't work. a penalty and it will be penalized, and then they're going to come up with a new system, and the new system is going to fix all the gaps in the old system, and then another team is going to come in and exploit those gaps in the new system, and then they might get away with it, or they might get penalized. Who knows? And this will cycle will continue for as long as there is BOP and as long as motorsports exists. We either have too many rules or not enough, Parker. Do we not have enough rules? Well, we either have too many rules... And we just need to get rid of all of them. And it just, racing needs to just be racing. Um, or we don't have enough rules and the sanctioning bodies need to just build the cars for the teams so that everything's fair and the teams can just show up with their suitcases and climb in the car and race. <laughs> it's one or the other. And qualifying engines. 
I want qualifying engines. And, and qualifying engines. There needs to be please, qualifying engines. Please bring us qualified engines. Oh, man. <laughs> I think that's the show. Well, um, yeah, we had a little bit more World Endurance Championship. I know that some bankrupt teams, weekend schedule. There's racing um, in Qatar, Bahrain, FIA World uh Formula One World Championship twenty twenty four debut season opener. Will you be watching? I will be watching. watching the Pennzoil Fun four hundred in Las Vegas. Uh I will be watching both. I'll be waking up <laughs> in Vegas. <laughs> but I will be watching both. Yeah, it's a big packed week of racing, which we don't um good thank you for pointing that out. We haven't had that in a while. So it's our first F one NASCAR and some sports cars out there as the uh, as the racing season starts to kick up and get going and we get the mix although i gotta figure out the time that the f1 i think the f1 needs to be like 7 a.m in vegas which will be early which isn't terrible that's, but that's not too bad no no it's not terrible it's not that bad it's not as bad as it can be like when it's the 4 a.m ones or something like that which that that's really tough <laughs> so okay well i'm gonna end the show Thank That's you, the show. Thank you, everybody. Kyle, sorry we ran out of time. We'll get you back on the show ah. next week or another time, Kyle Bush. But um, that's it for the Money Lap. Thanks for listening to the Money Lap. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the best five minutes in motorsports or sometimes just the coolest stuff in motorsports. Delivered directly to your inbox three times a week. Check us out on YouTube. We're growing fast over there. And, of course, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. We're all over the Internet. We're spreading the word of how cool motorsports is. Check us out.